Welcome to the Modern Masculinity Podcast, where we delve into the depths of what it means to be a man in today's world, and we explore the real-life challenges and triumphs that you and I face every single day. My name is Hector Santi Esteban, and I come with no answers, only questions for some of the most wise, insightful, and grounded men that I know. So get settled in. You're listening to Modern Masculinity. Fellas, what's going on? I hope this episode finds you well. And as always, I hope this episode leaves you better than when it found you. And I'm honored, humbled, grateful that you would be here, a part of my journey. I'm just blessed to be a part of yours. Today's episode is with Sean Harvey, and he's a guy who has been doing the work for a long time and doing it in ways and places where it's not always easy to do the type of work that we're talking about. And Sean's been someone who has been bringing a new type of masculinity into hyper-masculine environments. He's, he's someone who goes in and talks about the things that we talk about on this show, but does it in the military and police and firefighter agencies and, and places where you know you have this, this typical idea of, of masculinity. And he gets some really, really valuable conversations going in those organizations and he brings some of that wisdom here. So excited for you guys to hear this. And and I just got to say, guys, the level and, and the, the quality of guests and episodes that are coming down the pipe and, and some of the things that have already been recorded and are in the hopper for you guys is just absolutely incredible. And so if you found your way here and you're not following the show, wherever you're listening, I'd encourage you to do that. We drop an episode every week. And these conversations, I think, can really make a difference and an impact in your life. So enough of me, Nell, enough of that plug. Let's get into today's episode with Sean Harvey. Sean, thanks for being on the Modern Masculinity Podcast, man. Appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me. Let's take us into the title of today's episode is Practical Spirituality. And it seems like an oxymoron, but we're going to get into that. I'd love to know how that's coming up for you in your world today as a man, a provider, business owner, partner, whatever it may be. What's real oppression for you? I think I would go as, as a human on earth right now, just in terms of trying to make sense of a world that's deeply divided, deeply polarized, where there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of division, there's a lot of hate, and trying to make sense of it. And I think, to me, practical spirituality in its essence is love. And how do we move from that place of fear to a place of love? And seeing what's happening in the world, seeing where we're in conflict, where we're in tension, where we're divided, where the opportunities are to build bridges. It's hard to properly calibrate how much to let in for a lot of people. The world can be so chaotic and so much of the advice, you know, part of the challenge with today's world is that the outside seems to be creeping into the inside. And the old advice used to be just tune it out, put down your phone, just be oblivious to it. And I think that can work to an extent, but I also think that there's some naivety to that as well in the sense of you you could be blindsided or, or unprepared. And so it's this delicate balance and dance, I feel, that how do you protect your inner world, if you will, both internally, emotionally, but then also your relationships and your household and your family, while also being informed about the external world as well. And I don't know that that guys have quite calibrated that yet. I know I've swung side to side and I'm trying to figure out what that medium is. I think there's just so much happening and it depends on what vantage point, what view you're looking at the world. You're going to see a, a portion of it, if not a lot. 
But I would say it's more of what are we doing as men around creating the inner alignment for ourselves, going in and going deep into our inner work, because that's going to dictate how we experience what's around us versus do we get rattled by it? Do we want to withdraw from it? Do we avoid it? Or can we come to a place of acceptance around what is real versus what we want? to be real so that we're able to actually deal with things and be able to manage our own reactions, our own responses, our own emotions around it. And often I think that what's going on in our inner landscape will dictate how we are in relationship to what's going on outside of us. Yeah. And it's really interesting because part of your work, and I'd love for you to to share how your experiences have colored the conversation and created your perspective, because you're going in and working with companies and bringing this, essentially this practical spirituality, this enlightened masculinity into workplaces and, and cultures that are probably not ready for it, frankly, or this concept is a culture shock. And you really bring a unique perspective to that, that I think silences a lot lot of those objections that people have in their head about what masculinity can or can't be. So would you mind sharing a little bit about kind of your work and maybe some of the experiences that have created that or enabled that perspective, if you will? Yeah. So a couple of things. I would start with a way to think about, for me, practical spirituality is under the guise from my work around compassion and warrior compassion the name of my book. While I go into certain corporations, a good portion of my work is with police, military, defense, and what I call hyper-masculine systems. And so being able to work with men in hyper-masculine systems, as well as deepening compassion in those cultures, so that there is more of an openness, there is more of an opportunity for emotions in the workplace or emotions in those environments, an opportunity for healing in those environments. I would say from my experiences, part of how I see it as possible is I don't have the conversation around it. I more come in from a place of storytelling, a place of creativity, a place of connecting in nature and creating experiences where we're not necessarily doing a head-on collision, but more of a drive-by conversation that are creating an invitation for men as opposed to a mandate. So much of my book and, and Warrior Compassion is shifting from this narrative that men have to change because something's broken, which I think is what a lot of men hear. Here's an invitation to healing because you might be wounded because you're human. And part of the human condition is having wounds, healing those wounds, and being able to come into uh, a fuller sense of ourselves. And so one thing I've noticed is, one, it's not just language. We get so hung up on that. It's approach, it's invitation, and it's the mindset and heart set that we bring into these spaces with men and in these environments that are just offering, this is a different type of conversation than what you probably expect. This is a different type of experience than what you expect. And what I've found is, no matter what environment I'm in, taking this approach that I take and my teams take in this work, we typically get to a 95% engagement within the first 15 to 20 minutes. Because we don't talk about masculinity. We don't talk talk about right out of the gate. We're not talking about some of the terms that they're going to turn folks off. We're, we're really looking at what's real for these men. And let's have a conversation to get curious about what their experience is and share openly and model what it's like to just share our stories, share what's going on for us and create real conversations that are talking about the real life issues that men are experiencing, that men are facing versus getting into all the heady theory around these topics that actually, I think, alienate men more than invite them in. Was there a moment or a time that you can think of that the initial word that came up that broke a man, I don't think break is the right word, but maybe like his shell was cracked, his mask was taken off. He was able to allow 
whatever you were saying to penetrate his soul. But whereas I feel so many times, guys, I know myself included, we have this guard up or whatever. That's and pick your adjective, right? That hopefully this isn't overstepping, but I grew up in the 90s. We would say that's gay. And it was just this thing. We're not letting ourselves receive because right. we have these judgments that are totally unfounded. And so I'm wondering, are there stories that you think help to get into a man? Or was there a time that you've seen or for you, maybe you can share what that was like, because I know you've had some, a ton of experiences, I would imagine, going through this process you're on your own. Yeah, I think with the work with police, I work with FBI agents, and they'll often be partner up an FBI agent or a police officer with kind of a lay person. And we'll often tell one of their stories as a way to break in. And one of the hostage negotiator on our team was shot during a school shooting about 30 years ago. And we often start with that story and talk about his journey. And I think part of what I've seen then is folks in the room just start to resonate with the story. They start to I think the key is when they can see themselves in the story that you share. And so what I'll often do is I'll either talk about the aspects so that I'm taking it personally. I'll tell parts of my story that can be relatable. And then we start getting into what feels like what's relatable. And that usually is as a door opener. One of the things that when I'm in these conversations, even just changing some of the language from let's stop talking about men being broken and more about men being wounded. And as we start talking about the ways that men are wounded, then I don't think it has to go to the extremes of let's talk about suicide. What I often say is let's just talk about the guy who played the game, got the prices and still feels empty inside. Or let's just talk about the epidemic of loneliness that we're experiencing in society today. And let's talk about the crippling power of isolation and loneliness and always feeling the pressure to shoulder it alone. Like any of these become doorways or entry points into the conversation. Yeah, it seems like when you say it like that, it's like the men's plight and journey. But we as guys, we're over here thinking that we're alone or that we're singular or unique in these kinds of problems and challenges. And all of a sudden, someone like you creates a space to be able to relate with other guys in a way that's not around a football game or a beverage or it creates a different sort of relatability. Let me tell you this. Let me show this. When I was living in D.C. before I moved to Philly, I started this thing just on a whim called Men's Soul Adventures, where we do outdoor adventure meets deeper male bonding meets soul connecting conversations. I thought I'd make it a few responses. I put it out on Meetup. 52 guys signed up in the first 24 hours. By the time I left D.C. five months later, we had 180 guys in the group. When I took men out of the first soul venture, we just went for a hike in D.C. We set our intentions. We hiked half the time, stopped by this river. We just started. And then we just did this like meditation. And it happened to be that it was a week after Easter, day after Passover, the 19th day of Ramadan. So it was like this opportunity to just meditate on this idea of like new beginnings and renewal, which is emblematic of those holidays. And once we came out of the meditation or the visualization and just sat and talked, guys just started talking about what was going on in their lives. They went really deep, really fast. And a lot of it was around challenges in relationships or getting a divorce or trying to figure out the next step in their career. But they were going to those places of depth. And, and I think what was surprising to a lot of the guys is how quickly they went deep with a group of strangers. And I think part of it was a combination of just creating the right type of space and environment for it, creating the right invitation and just asking a simple question. I think guys are ready for these conversations when the environment's right, when they're we're in the right headspace and heart space. And to your point, what I often call it is breaking the cycle of terminal uniqueness. 
this whole idea that I'm the only one shouldering the burden. And once you start hearing a few other guys, you just start sharing similar challenges. Then you realize you're not alone. And then you realize you don't have to come up with a solution alone. Yeah, I think shame that gets built up when we don't have that experience and relate with other guys that you had a great name for it. What did you call it? The uh, terminal uniqueness. Terminal uniqueness is a great term. But what I think it does is it creates the shame and everybody's walking around with this shame that if we shared that journey, that experience, we all have it. And that takes away so much of the shame. I feel like the, the, the shame is built because we feel like we're the only ones and, and thus we are, are bad or cursed or whatever, that it's a judgment and an indictment on our self-worth as an opposed to, no, it's actually part of the human experience. It's part of it and thus a unifying thing, not something that outcasting kind of thing. That's why I think so much of this work is just more than a conversation on masculinity. This is just a conversation on helping men tap into their deeper humanity. And yeah. so you just said, understanding that what we're experiencing is part of the human experience. It's not, or understanding the human condition. And I, I feel like what I often say is one of the biggest challenges for men is we are just disconnected. And I don't think it's just from a place of disconnection from others. I think it's disconnection from ourselves and disconnection from our spiritual selves or our soul. And that so many men are so externally focused and it can be really frightening to actually think about going internal or can feel like a lot of work or it's diminished as something. Why would I do that? And yet so often the answers to the challenges that we experience in our everyday lives could actually be addressed, be minimized and be realized when we actually go internal and create a different type of connection to our intuition, to our inner life in ways that often so much of the answers for already within us, if we can just access it. But I think what you were also just hitting on is just this notion of shame. And we get caught up in the other emotion of the fear, the anger, the sadness, the grief. But I think the real debilitator that creates constriction for so many men is shame. And what is so terrifying and triggering to look at becomes the easiest thing to avoid. But by avoiding those things where we experience shame and not accepting it or being with it or learning to work with it is often where we're living in our shadow. That's where we're often living in those parts in our lives that make it a lot more difficult. Circling back to what you said at the beginning, I feel like it's the beginning of a cleansing, but it seems I'm seeing it in my own life. I'm seeing it in some people who are close to me. And I'm curious if you're experiencing this sort of thing where a lot of the stuff that has been closeted, compartmentalized, forgotten about, avoided essentially for so long is starting to bubble back up, right? Whether that is health issues or financial issues or relationship issues or, or like all these things that we put off maybe because the pandemic, everyone collectively put off their shit because we were all going going through this thing. And then now that's starting to come back up where all these things are coming up again. And I'm seeing it really break a lot of people. You know, I don't like to use that word, but I'm seeing a lot of men be broken relationships, divorce, health, you name it, where the weight of whatever this is, they're succumbing to it, right? On the other side, I'm not perfect, but the perspective that I'm trying to bring to this is that, you know, these are necessary parts of the evolution, right? That we can't avoid something for forever, that at some point we've got to pay the piper. And whether that is getting our health on track and eating right, whether that is cleaning up our debts or our, our finances or whatever it is, or having those conversations that we've been putting off and the relationships that either need repair or even that ability to like repair internally. I think maybe that's also something that got put on hold is that we as individuals stopped healing ourselves because there was so much chaos going on. And, and it seems like now there's this collective need for us to start the repairing process, uh, hopefully in order 
to experience a, a new and brighter future as opposed to this dark and bleak kind of end that seems to be painted on the news. I think during the pandemic, you probably saw it go in two directions. Either it was an opportunity to avoid and withdraw, or I saw a large number of people becoming active, doing their inner work, doing things they'd never thought they would do. I, I can't tell you the number of people I know who've written books during that period of time because I had the time. And often writing a book can be part of one's healing journey. So I saw it twofold. And as you're talking, I think from our own journeys, besides what's going on in the world, Whatever is unresolved, be it our finances, scarcity mindset, challenges in relationships, challenges with career, we often want things to be linear and the reality is often cyclical. And those things that we're not resolving are going to be repeating and be in a repetitive cycle until we take action. And so I think what you might be seeing is folks, if they've been in that place of avoidance or focusing on one thing, but at the expense of something else, that what needs to be addressed will keep repeating itself or showing itself until it is addressed. Because I do think that if you go back to the start of this practical spirituality, I think it is how are we listening to ourselves at the deepest levels? And how are we walking the path of the spiritual journey of the soulful journey? And what is the journey of the soul in this lifetime that we are walking and what needs to be addressed, what needs to be looked at? So I look at it probably from a few different perspectives as I'm listening to your question. Yeah, Troy, I believe his last name is Lavisnia from the founder SOS, I believe is the name of it, came on the show. He was talking a lot about that and how we are collectively going through this awakening process. And I think that it's happening at a global scale, right, where you see that these relationships that had been avoided or these relationships that have been put off or all this stuff that had just been swept under the rug. And I think once you try and map problems or deficiencies to a really good friend the other day, and they're going through some really big health challenges challenges. And they told her, you need to go and get some antidepressants to deal with the stress of these health issues. That's what they said. Instead of learning to deal with the underlying issue, instead of actually taking the steps to fix some of these challenges or work through the health stuff, we're just going to cover it up with more. And I think that's been the practice at a fractal level internally in relationships, society, communities. We've just been trying to sweep things under the rug and avoid the actual issues at hand. And things are so elevated now, that's not possible anymore, that we actually have to go back and start to fix some of the root issues. And I think some people can hear that message you just shared and other people can't. I think an aspect of this is readiness. When people ask me, I used to be the head of personal transformation and being for Eileen Fisher, the fashion company, after I left Wall Street uh, and before I went to seminary and became an interfaith minister. And when people would ask me, what are my outcomes? What are my objectives? What's the ROI of what I do? And I would often say, you're asking from a training perspective, you're not asking from a personal transformation perspective. I don't think they they use the same type of metrics and the same, they don't value the same thing. And we're talking about someone's personal transformation journey. My belief is each of our interactions, we are providing mirrors of each other's humanity. And we're also planting seeds for each other's development and growth. And my sense is that each interaction we have, we're collecting more seeds. And then in our journey, our own personal transformation journey, when we are ready, those seeds are going to start to germinate. And, and propel us where we need to go. I feel like there's often in this space this this sh- we should be doing, and of course, why wouldn't we be doing this? Or what's prompting folks? And, and what I find is people are all over the board in terms of when they're going to be ready to do their work. It's not for any of us to say when that time is. 
but we can model for each other. We can demonstrate what it looks like through us by doing our work. And when folks are ready, they will have what they need to be able to move forward in their own transformation journey to come into their own awakening, their own healing. And for some, the mask, the protective layers are so great, or the awareness is just not there yet that they're not ready. Or the fear of what's going to happen when they transform is holding them back, whatever it might be. And so I often believe that when someone, because of all these influences, and we're seeing more and more folks do their inner work, do their transformation, we start to model it. Other people are might be activated when they're ready. But I do think that the, the real question for folks is not when are they ready to start walking the, the journey of their own healing and what's prompting them to start going on the journey. It's interesting that we're having this conversation right now. We're recording this a few days after Thanksgiving, and I spent the Thanksgiving with my parents' house and my grandma, who she's 80-some-odd years old and a very devout Catholic. And it's just interesting because so much of my programming, I don't even realize, was from the Catholic guilt. Whatever all that is was so embedded. I did 16 years of Catholic school, and the programming was so deep. And the challenge, just for the reason I'm giving this context for the guys, is that I, I did that, and I came out out of there. And I was like, this is bullshit. This is like totally bullshit. I was at a church that whose pastor got wrapped up in all the scandals and, and kind of stuff. So I, I just was really disenfranchised with the idea of the church. But the challenge was, is I took one class in, in high school that was called world religions and a few more in college. We had to take some different kind of world religion classes. And it was so fascinating that it seemed like they were saying some of the same things. So many different religions that seemingly were against each each other and thought that in the Catholic kind of faith, if you weren't Catholic, then you weren't getting into heaven. And so it was like my grandma was like had this thing of that the Buddha is essentially the equivalent of the devil, because if I'm Buddhist, I'm not getting into heaven. And so it just creates these weird this versus that and me versus you. And so I say all that and I pushed away really hard. But then after I had kids and I got married and I had just some really weird experiences that couldn't be explained by anything rational or anything of measurable things that were nothing short of miracles, did I start to come back the other way and, and, and start to find, well, can, maybe there is something here. And now, once again, I'm in that calibration process of what was the bullshit and what was actually real, what was practical, <laughs> right, that I could actually matters in this life. So for you, being not coming an interfaith disciplinary, a mixed martial arts of spirituality, if you will, even take us on that journey on how you got to that place of incorporating kind of these different ideas and philosophies. I wasn't really, I had exposure to different faiths growing up. I wasn't really raised in a religious household. There's one on the periphery, but not in our household. So I actually don't have what I realized. I'm not carrying a lot of religious trauma or spiritual trauma that I need to let go of. So I'm able to be pretty open about this. And I knew probably around 36, there was a church in New York that I became a ultimately became a member of Marvel Collegiate Church. And I, I, I was directed to it in five different ways. And I ended up going there and deepening my Christian faith. And they're Dutch Reformed. That's where they, they came over with the Dutch West India Company. And I think that just, again, it just started opening a new path. And then, like I said, I, I went to work. I left Wall Street, went to work for Eileen Fisher. And we had a lot of spirituality in the workplace. We had Akashic Records readers. We had medical intuitives. We had astrologers. We had ended up co-authoring an article for the Journal of Management, Spirituality, and Religion on nurturing the soul of the company where I worked. And just having this exposure. And I was sent to an artist commune for 
five months in Canada by my company and all these different experiences were just like, it was just this build. And there was something within, like I've been always been pretty good about listening to that voice within. And I just knew there was something that I was gravitating toward. And my minister actually at my church, buddy of mine, he went the traditional Christian theology route. And she's like, Sean, that's not for you. Like He would not do well there. And she recommended this interfaith seminary. And I, I was open and I was curious. So I went to the open house and, and right when I walked in to the open house, it just felt like home. It felt like it belonged and it felt like that was it. So I went to seminary because I knew if I was going to do work with men, it had to be at that soul level. It had to be at a deeper level. And I needed to have not just a psychological approach, but a psycho-spiritual approach to it. Really get to the root of some of the challenges that are facing men. And so I went and came out of seminary having a much broader awareness of different faiths and how they connect some of the universal truths. And we started with Hinduism. I was just going to say, we started off with Hinduism then Buddhism then Judaism, then Christianity, Islam, Sufism, Native American practice, African wisdom, different faiths, Confucianism, Quakers. So we were just getting different perspectives. We had one session just on Catholicism versus Protestantism and Christianity and integral spirituality as well with Ken Wilber's work, Course in Miracles. So it's getting like different perspectives. And, but then there's still certain universal truths that come across. We'll talk about organized religion but from the intention of the tradition. And it really comes down to, if I'm really simplifying it, the transcendence of the ego, the sense of community, compassion at the root of all of these faith traditions as a way of alleviating suffering for oneself or others, and a commitment to serve in that community. And then you can look at the different doctrines and perspectives of each faith tradition But when you look across the board, it really is, at the end of the day, what my message often becomes with men is love and how to help men learn to love in a new way. And what I say is moving from love with conditions to unconditional love, from intellectualizing love when it's convenient to viscerally experiencing love from a place of every moment. Yeah, you talked about this integral spirituality. And I think that was something that seemed to be lost from Catholicism was that God was very much outside of you that God was something outside. And I remember having this, I was still in a kind of an anti-religion phase. And I think that I still don't really agree with a lot of the organized and structural kinds of religions and just things. But anyways, I remember really getting into meditation and uh, mindfulness and really diving into those practices. And then seeing my grandma again, who has been this interesting foil in my kind of my development. And when I say foil, like the, not the arch nemesis, but the person who's like the opposite. I think, you know, Shakespeare had those characters, but someone who shows the contrast between two people. And what was interesting is that my grandma loves to pray. She's always praying and she's, I'll pray for you. And I was praying for this and I was praying for this. And I realized that meditation and prayer from the outside, if you're looking at someone praying and you're looking at someone meditating, it looks like they're actually doing the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, internally, there are some nuances and there are some different differences depending on the person. But generally, I think that you can group them into the same kind of genus or the same kind of general category of, of stuff. And so that kind of flipped the switch in my head that said, like, these practices, we, we can't throw out, or maybe we shouldn't throw out the baby with the bathwater. And there are some practices that we can start to incorporate. When you think about, like, practices, you talked about the mindsets and perhaps the beliefs 
But when it comes to the ego and community, and I think there was one more that I'm missing, but you had those three. Are there practices that you think have emerged for you or that, I don't know if recommend or prescribe is the right kind of word, but that you give to guys saying that out of all of these things, here are some things that you can do on a daily, weekly, whatever kind of basis to integrate this sort of stuff into your life. Yeah, I would say four come to mind immediately. That, that genre you just described, I would put as contemplative practices, prayer, meditation. So prayer is the asking, and then often meditation is the receiving. It's like you're creating space for the wisdom to come through you and, and what you're going to hear, what you're going to experience, and just getting quiet in the mind. The second is somatic or embodied experiences, getting in touch with your body and listening to the wisdom in your body. The third is... I guess just to give you some more context, that would be like something like breath work or maybe dancing, or would you group like cold plunging into stuff like that? Yeah, I would say any sort of movement experience, dancing, ecstatic dance, or exercise, even just walking. Could even be you're doing a meditative walk where you're blending head and body. The third I would say is creativity. So finding your creative outlet, be it something artistic, something sculpture, clay, and then play. And then where you don't have, I think our souls, they want to play. I think sometimes we get so serious, and I think especially when we start talking about spirituality, we get so serious and then a part of ourselves that we often deny, first, especially as men, is play. And we don't allow ourselves to play enough. We don't allow ourselves. And many of us have lost the sense of connection to creativity. Many of us have a disconnected relationship with our body. So we can't hear the wisdom in our body because we're not connected to our bodies. And even if we're working out all the time, it may be functional, but we still may have a dysfunctional relationship to our bodies. And then getting silence and being comfortable in the silence of the contemplative practice is an edge for a lot of guys. What's interesting is just bringing it back to the beginning of this conversation and also a theme that we've talked about a lot, though, is that society, whether it is intentionally constructed or just chaos or whatever it is, by following just whatever society or whatever is mainstream or popular and doing whatever they're telling you to do is not going to, those practices are the antithesis of what society is, is prescribing, right? There, It's the scroll culture where it's the opposite of that, those contemplative practices. And there's all these headlines about fitness having all these political ideologies or taking a pill to lose weight. There's like fat pills and, and fat procedures and like things where we can skip the work to get in better shape, but also that allows you to get in touch with your body. All these sorts of things, consumerism, and even I think about this hustle kind of culture where it's team no sleep, we're just going to work whatever it is, like all these sorts of things. If we listen to the messaging of, of society, it's not going to lead us down this path of spirituality. And, and I think that's a challenge for guys. But what's cool is that if we're looking and we're aware and we're ready, we can find guys like you, we can find guys like some of our mutual friends and Ken and Ed and, and Quentin and previous guests on the show and start to go down and walk this path with guys who are walking the same path too. Yeah, I think so much of what's out there is trying to find the quick fix because it's fixing the ailment that we think we have. And often those ailments can be symptoms to what's really at the root, where we're disconnected, the places where it's going to take a little bit more work. It's going to take more of a disciplined practice. It's going to take moving from fixing problems to healing wounds, which it's going to require a little bit of courage and some persistence to really just be with the parts of ourselves we don't want to look at. And what I like to say is to lean into the discomfort that is part of transformation journeys. It's I think so many of these things, we're either taking it as it's going to get the endorphins going or it's going to 
take us to these great places and these great edges. And But in the reality, sometimes the journey is also walking through and slogging through the muck and being able to not feel like you have to do it alone. And, and as you're doing it, to have others who have been there who can tell you that life can be much better as you are dealing with things head on and walking through it. And again, I, I hear mixed things between healing as a solo journey versus healing as a communal journey. I think it's a both. I think that in some ways, you got to do some of this journey on your own and you've got to be in that silence and you got to be able to listen to the wisdom that's already within you. But the other part of it is so many of us have been hurt or harmed in relationship. And the only way to heal that those wounds from relationships, not just romantic, but in general, is in relationship. And to often tell a story and one of the experiences I had in my life, when I was really at some of my lowest points, someone said to me, let us love you until you learn how to love yourself. And when I talk about love, when I talk about at the core of so much of this is love, and the only way to really be able to love fully is to learn how to love ourselves fully. And I think for so many men, learning how to love ourselves is with not a lot of answers and not a lot of, and not a roadmap. And that was why I wrote my book. One of the reasons I wrote my book was to create a roadmap ultimately that became how can men learn to love themselves in a new way. Yeah. Talk a little about the book. It's got a great title. And I think the ethos is so important. It reminds me of that. I'd rather be a, a warrior in the garden than a gardener in a war. And I missed that growing up. I was very much the Mr. Nice Guy, the people pleaser, the placator, the avoid confrontation at all costs. And once again, I'm paying the piper years later. And so it's it's definitely a journey or a, it's been a journey. But talk a little about the book and, and kind of what guys might get out of it. The, the title is Warrior Compassion, Unleashing the Healing Power of Men. And so it's not the compassionate warrior, which some people sometimes confuse. It's not asking men to take on the identity of the compassionate warrior, which some guys are just not going to be for them. But warrior compassion, when flipped, when those words are flipped around, becomes a fierce and courageous energy that's within each of us. That when we do our inner work to peel back the protective layers and get to that energy, that can be the source of healing. Because what I think of at this point, warrior compassion to me is radical equals radical unconditional love. And that unconditional love that we have for ourselves, that then we can start to love ourselves the more we can love others. And so the book itself, I share kind of the state of men as I see it. I offer a couple of chapters on my healing journey. And then the rest of the book is really me dissecting all the pieces from my journey that I think can be helpful for other men. And framing it not as this is the way forward, because I don't think we need another person telling guys what the way forward is. I don't think we need another masculinity book on this is what the ideal masculinity looks like. Because I think in the reality is we as men are not a monolith and we vary in our balance between masculine and feminine energy. We vary in our views. We vary in so many different attributes. And yet there's a shared humanity that we have that we often can't get to because we get caught up in all these different ways of thinking about our identities. And so to really frame the book as an inquiry for men to discover their own truth, to honor their own journey, and to discover the ways they are truly meant to contribute in the world. We'll link the book up there in the in the show notes as well. Is there anywhere else people can get connected with you, Sean? Yeah, you can go to my website, warriorcompassion.com. And that's probably, you can connect to me on my website, can learn more about what I'm up to and the work I'm doing with men, the work I'm doing with facilitators and the facilitator training I do and the retreats that I run. I love it. 
Appreciate your time here. Last question here, Sean, and you might have touched on it a little bit, but would love to hear your thoughts on, in your opinion, what is the uh, definition of modern masculinity? Someone asked me this, a question like this, and I said, I don't know the answer. And why I say that is because I think it's very individual and very unique to each man. I think because I am a gay man who has been on a crazy journey from Wall Street, women's fashion, to now working with cops and military. I think modern masculinity, it comes down to truth, to helping men discover their truth beyond their protective layers. It comes into being able to balance the strength and their tenderness. It's not demonizing the masculine in favor of the feminine. It's really coming into how does a man become into his own balance on many dimensions so that he can come into his full humanity. And so I think modern masculinity is allowing men to come into their full humanity. Yeah, it's well said. Fellas, I want to thank and appreciate you for sticking with us today. We'd love and appreciate a, a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, especially on Spotify. We're trying to make a push there. So if you happen to have the Spotify app, we'd love for you to open it up and, and hit the stars at the top. If you know a guy who is needs to be hearing this, is, is going through it, or you think that they're just going through some different stuff in life, whether it's getting married or having a kid or new job, starting a business, things like that, send them this episode or just reach out and, and check in on them, see if they're good. It goes a long way. And most importantly, Appreciate you being part of the tribe and being part of this growing community. We'll see you on the next one. Later, y'all.